uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Planet 8. I'm your mission commander, Larry, and as always, by my side is Chief Engineer Bob. And circling us in an orbital satellite via interocitor, Karen, our reconnaissance officer. Today's podcast brings us to a discussion about the Dark Lord of the Sith, Darth Vader. Straight away, let's kick it over to our Chief Engineer. Bob, as far as Darth Vader goes, where were you? When did you first become aware of this iconic villain? Well, I mean, it would obviously have to be the first Star Wars. Right, but the, did, four, did the you fourth Star Wars on right? TV, you know? or did you oh, no. grab a comic book? Or I'm, when an, did old, you I'm first an old man, so I saw it in the theater opening weekend. So you had no idea what Darth Vader looked like going into that movie? You know... <clears throat> Obviously, back then I was, you know, I was about seventeen when it came out. Yeah, so yeah. I had been watching sci-fi and all that, and uh, on Creature Features with Bob Wilkins in the San Francisco <laughs> Bay Area. What's that? Bob, <laughs> Bob showed the trailer quite a few times, you know, before it came out. Right. And in fact, I remember I was at SpaceCon over in the East Bay, and Bob was the host of SpaceCon. And he Mm -hmm. showed the Star Wars trailer there. And I think that's probably the first time we saw it. And so we were just like, holy crap, what is this? You know, it's like, this is like the most amazing thing we had ever seen in our lives cinematically. Because up until then, you know, 2001 was about, you know, the best you get in special effects. And it wasn't exciting bombastic and you know spaceships and rays and everything else yeah so i thought wow this is cool and of course in the trailer you've got that one shot of vader where he like turns towards the camera mm-hmm. you know and so it's like okay this guy looks cool whoever whoever this guy is he looks cool and so i was at a bowling tournament of all things <laughs> over in uh, stockton california and it was a two-day bowling tournament. So we got done bowling the first day. And it just happened to be the weekend that Star Wars came out. So Saturday night, we're like, well, what do you want to do? Let's go see Star Wars. So that was the first of like f- 
14 times, I think I saw it that summer. That is awesome. And, you know, you, you would go and line up outside the Cornet Theater in San Francisco, and that was like the, ma- the big one to see it at because it had the big curved screen and the loge seating and all that cool, cool stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, as soon as you saw it and you saw, you know, Vader in his, I mean, David Prowse in the suit right. is just humongous. And then, you know, the James Earl Jones voice, it's mm-hmm. pretty impressive, especially to a 17-year-old kid, you know, between bowling oh, yeah. tournaments. So That is uh, cool. But, yeah, so, yeah, Darth Vader, definitely, obviously, since I saw the movie 14 times that summer, um, <laughs> made a big impression on me. That summer was, like, Star Wars and The Spy Who Loved Me. Spy Who Loved Me was out, James Bond. Mm, and so funny. every Friday night we'd be like, Oh, what do you want to do? Let's go see a movie. Uh, Star Wars or Spy Who Loved Me? <laughs> yeah, so for, for a seventeen-year-old boy, I could see that might be a hard choice. That's right. <laughs> and so, you know, yeah, we would go to one or the other. You know, usually, well, usually at the drive-in. But uh, yeah, no, I mean that. Yeah, that's pretty much my first, uh, my first visions and encounter with Darth Vader. Cool, cool. And and since uh, Karen uh, came on there, <laughs> good comment. What was your first uh, exposure to the Dark Lord of the Sith? Was it a magazine, a a star log? As as I've told many a time, uh, I grew up in a small town in in the central coast region of California, and we did not get Star Wars until July 6th. What? Yes. It was torturous. Um, in the meantime, I had my Star Log number seven. I had my novelization. I had all sorts of stuff, commercials, and I was dying to see this film. I kept running around with the pictures, and I would show my older brother who could drive. I, I was not quite 17. I was a little bit younger than that and not able to drive. And I would say, this thing is the greatest thing ever. It's going to be the most <laughs> incredible thing and my brother said, what is this Star Wars thing? Why are you so excited about it? What are you talking about? And I'd say, just drive us to L.A. or something. We need to go see this. And everyone ignored me. And then, of course, after it came out, I was proven to be a genius. But uh, at the time, you know, I was just dying for the movie to come out. And then, like like Bob, after it came out, I would, you know, my allowance, any, you know, I would take bottles to the store and get money. I would do anything I could to go see the movie over and over and over again. And uh, Vader, of course, was a big part of that. He was like this huge evil samurai or something. Um, Just the aesthetics alone of the design, you know, were, I mean, people take it for granted now. But the way Vader looked at that time was very unique. Um very stunning. And the whole movie was stunning to look at. And, uh, oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, it was just incredibly cool. And, and Vader, I, I kind of feel like the prequels kind of took a little of his luster away. He was definitely more menacing and, and you know, I don't know. He seemed to have more authority in the original trilogy than after, but that's, well, I think he lost his, Everything <laughs> in Return of the Jedi once the helmet came off. And he looked like Humpty Dumpty? And he was Uncle Fester under the helmet. <laughs> yeah. I expect uh, him to pull uh, out a light bulb and, hey, Luke. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, because, <laughs> I mean, you know, they should have kept 
David Prowse. I mean, David Prowse was an impressive looking guy, uh, you know, and he played Frankenstein and everything else. I mean, he could have been a pretty, you know, stern looking Darth Vader under there. He so, kind of uh, got the shaft in a lot of ways from from uh, Lucasfilm. Yeah, I mean, they couldn't use his voice. They didn't use his face once the helmet came off. And uh, I wonder if he, does anyone know, did he have any kind of reaction to the fact that He's played this character for three movies, and now suddenly when they finally pull the mask off, it's not going to be him? Well, I, I know. I took my niece to go see him at uh, Legends in, uh, I don't even remember what city, this comic shop they used to have. And he signed uh, the poster, David Prowse is Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, I have an autograph know. from him that's the same thing. So and I think he's a little sensitive the about it. Yeah, so... Well, I guess Darth Vader must have an incredibly split personality when you think about it. Because he's got, you know, the body of David Prowse and the face of another actor and the voice of James Earl Jones. <laughs> and, you know, it's like... <laughs> yeah, I, I thought you were talking like, you know, the character, but in reality, yeah. <laughs> well, kind of that too, because he goes from being a, a Jedi to a... A Sith Lord, but right. well, what about you, uh, Commander Larry? What are your thoughts? Oh well, you know the Commander uh, first exposure was was like uh, Bob uh, Creature Features. Uh, he had lobby cards, and it was uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. They were uh, black and white. I don't remember them being color, and it was the Stormtrooper on the Dewback. It was three PO, I think, coming out of the oil bath. And it was Darth Vader. And, you know, uh, you just salivated. I, I wasn't a 17-year-old teenager, so I couldn't go see The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, I had to wait for the Probably movie a good thing. years oh. later. So. so I had gone to see, uh, was it Live and Let Die in 71? That was like the first Bond oh. movie I saw in the theaters. But. No, I, you know, and, and to go see Star Wars, it was playing in Piedmont at this little theater. And uh, I was too young to catch the bus by myself. And so my grandmother, God bless her soul, she was visiting from Greece and didn't speak a lick of English. And I get her on the bus with me and I take her to the movies and get us tickets. And uh, we sat up in the balcony and she slept through the whole thing. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Came home and, and they're like, well, you know, yeah, yeah. What'd you see? She's like, oh, these big airplanes flying over. I don't know what it was, and they were shooting, and then I fell asleep, and, and then we came home, and I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I actually got my dad to take me and a friend to uh, the drive-in one time uh-huh. to see Night of the Living Dead, and uh, same thing. We sat in the front seat and watched it, and he slept in the back until it was over. <laughs> uh, you know, and I'll tell you, when, when we get to the end of the film, and Vader's just spinning off into space. I, I was like, oh, my God, you know, they, they didn't kill him, but is he going to come back? There, you know, yes, Planet of the Apes did have sequels, but I didn't know there was going to be a Star Wars sequel. I don't know if any of us knew that back yeah. then. I don't know if Lucas knew that back then. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there was no 2001 sequel. So they were selling programs at the box office, and in reading the program, um, it talked about him being a, the Dark Lord of the Sith. And there was no internet back there. Uh, back then, it was Starlog and your friends. Mm-hmm. So would try to figure out what is a Sith. And, you know, 
and we found out that uh, Empire was going to come out years later, and and uh, they just gave us like more Vader than than we could have hoped for. I mean that I still I, I think Empire is my favorite Star Wars uh, film overall, and that'll be another podcast we do. You know. Well, well, here's a quick question then. Yes, sir. Speaking of Vader and speaking of Empire. What was your guys' reaction? Because, I mean, that was kind of before the Internet and stuff, so it was really easy to uh, keep spoilers from people. So going into the theater and having no clue whatsoever, and suddenly there's Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker fighting it out, and Luke, I am your father. (laughs) What what was your guys' reaction to that? (sighs) That was that was a big, you know, that was one of those gut punches back then because like you said nobody you, it wasn't spoiled because you didn't have the internet. Right. Um, so yeah, that was that was a huge that whole movie was like a gut punch because you come out of it and it's like oh, you know, Han right. Solo's in Carbonite and Luke's hand got chopped off and Vader's his dad and what in the heck is going on? Um but yeah, that was great. That was a great moment, and it really set it up right because it was like Luke could be teetering on the edge of going over to the dark side. It set that that up really well. Right. One of the things that I appreciated about Star Wars and uh, Empire—I can't remember the Return of the De- uh, Jedi trailer, but I know most certainly the Star Wars trailer gave nothing away. I, I mean, you, you watched the trailer and you had no idea what you were going to get be exposed to other than droids and stormtroopers and, you know, the, the heroes. Um, yeah, and, and so in Empire, when you find out Vader delivers that line, it was like, what, you know? Is he lying to him? Is, mm-hmm. is it like, you know, an evil Jedi mind trick? Could Ben have lied? Well, what about Yoda? Why, 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 why? Um. So yeah, that was what. What, what did you think, Bob? When when you I was saw like, that iconic moment, I my friends and I in the theater, we were just like blown away because, like I say, it was you know before. I mean, magazines didn't give it away, and there was no internet, so they could exactly. definitely keep it under wraps. And of course, after seeing Star Wars fourteen times. In the '77, it's like, yeah, we were there opening weekend or opening night or whatever it was, and uh, yeah, so we had no clue whatsoever that this was going to happen. And so when, you know, he actually says, "I am your father," it's like, holy crap! And of course, right. Mark Hamill or Luke's reaction with the no, you know, it's <laughs> like it, it, it was perfect, you know. And I think, I think Star Wars and Empire was like the perfect double feature because Star Wars is light and happy and right. action and then Empire is dark and foreboding and you know like you said you know arms getting chopped off and everything else so I think it's it's really cool kind of yin yang black white whatever double feature and and you know Vader is definitely a big part of that whole thing oh yeah and you know it, we had to wait decades for Rogue One to come around and show Vader just being this evil Sith Lord, going after those plans, uh, that was phenomenal. And up to this point, we've talked a lot about 
the original actor who played Darth Vader, Dave Prowse, or David Prowse. At Creatures Con, we had the good fortune of meeting and interviewing C. Andrew Nelson, who, believe it or not, has played Vader longer or at least more times than David Prowse. And so let's give a listen to the interview that we had at Creatures Con with Mr. C. Andrew Nelson. Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. And we are pleased to have Mr. C. Andrew Nelson with us on Planet 8. Thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. And, you know, it's not every day that we have a Sith Lord with us on Planet 8. <laughs> no, I imagine not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, straight away, I wanted to ask, how exactly did you get involved in the role of uh, something as iconic as Darth Vader? Well, um, I was already working for Lucasfilm. Um, I'm a visual effects artist and animator, but I'm also an actor, too. Hmm. And uh, I was working for Lucasfilm, and I was working at LucasArts in particular, and I was a visual effects supervisor and senior artist there, working on a lot of different games. And my phone rings, and it's the head of public relations who was upstairs from me. <laughs> and she didn't even bother to say hello. She just said, hey, Andrew, how tall are you? I said, I'm six foot five. Why do you ask? And she was about five foot one, so I figured she just wanted something down off a shelf. Uh, so uh, then she asked me, she says, do you have any acting experience? And I said, yeah. And the wheels are spinning in my head, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And I said, yeah, I've got about you know 20 years of film and theater and TV, and I let her know that. And then she says to me, can you breathe for me? <laughs> you know, so you put the pieces together. You start thinking to yourself, okay, let's see. Um, do you have any acting? You know, how tall are you? Do you have any acting experience? It's a Lucas company. Can you breathe for me? And you think to yourself, all right. And you lean into your phone and you go like that. You know. So I asked her, okay, what's going on here? And they were looking for somebody to play uh, Vader for a special charity event, a mm. meet and greet for Big Brothers Big Sisters of America. And so I tried on the costume and it fit. And we did that one event, and I thought, oh, my gosh, that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. That's never going to happen again. And right, I just thank right. God I had a chance to do it. But then they called me back for something else. And then they called me back for the films and the games and the commercials and the, the print ads and the magazine covers. And I eventually ended up playing Vader 70 times over 12 years. Wow. Yeah, my wife made me keep count after a while. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is awesome. So, yeah. uh you know, you said prior to the Vader role, you were doing special effects work with uh, yes, Lucasfilm. Mm -hmm, yeah. uh, mostly games, or was it... Uh, well, I started off at, at LucasArts, and I spent six years at LucasArts you know, helping design and create games there. Like I said, I was a senior artist and visual effects supervisor working on pretty much every game that came out during those six years. Wow. I was working, had some kind of uh, hand in, in, some, in some of that there somewhere. Uh, and then I moved over to Industrial Light and Magic, and I began working on the uh, Star Wars prequels. Um, I also worked on Galaxy Quest and Jurassic Park 3 and Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle and The Time Machine and Perfect Storm while I was there. Yeah. And then I left uh, Industrial Light and Magic and began teaching at the Academy of Art University in San Francisco. I ran the visual effects department. Ah. And my students ended up working on uh, Revenge of the Sith. So the circle is now complete. <laughs> exactly. Um, That's great. So uh, and I did that for a couple of years. And then I... Um, uh, began freelancing. So I work now as a, a visual effects uh, uh, supervisor, as a freelance visual effects supervisor and editor and animator. And then I continue acting too. So I'm still acting in in uh, 
on camera and behind the microphone. Actually, years ago, I actually did Luke Skywalker's voice for uh, for several LucasArts games, which makes me either my own father or my own son. It's kind of it's a uh, paradox. I should go on the Maury Povich show and have that paternity test to see if I'm related to myself. You know, you are the baby daddy, and apparently the baby. Well. Cut your own hand off, and <laughs> yeah, <Yes. laughs> you know it does make uh, family reunions a whole lot easier. You know? Everybody here? Yep. Okay. So are there any uh, Veda roles on the horizon? Or? You know, uh, what is it that Yoda always says? You know, right. always in motion is the future. You, know, you never know. I, you know. I never count on there being a next time, and I never count on right. there being a last time. So, you know, you, you don't know. You just yeah. don't know. That's the way the business is. You, you don't, you, you could be, you know, riding on top of the, uh, the world, then you'd be, you know, down in the trenches, and you're back on top of the world. You don't know what's going to happen. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's like they, they called you that one time, and it's like, uh, how tall are you? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Out of the blue. Yeah. yeah. And I've had times where it's like, you know, hey, can you be on a plane to Los Angeles in, in three hours? Uh, yes. Can, can you fly to Barcelona? To, yes. Okay. So, so, you don't know. That is cool. Let's kick it up to the satellite. Karen. Uh, Hello, Karen. Hi there. Well, that's really, uh, wow, remarkable uh, uh, career that you've had so far. And you said you're freelancing. So can you tell us about some of the other things you've been doing since then? Let's see. I've worked on effects for, gosh, a number of films. Uh, Worked on The Last Mimsy. I worked on the effects for uh, Rocky Balboa. Yes, there are effects in a Rocky movie. And it's not to make make Stallone look beefier than he actually is. um, I worked on uh, Spiderwick Chronicles. I worked on... Fantastic Four, uh, Rise of the Silver Surfer. I worked on uh, Rush Hour 3, Enchanted, Jumper, Race to Witch Mountain. So basically Uh, everything. You know, what happens (laughs) is um, I'm sort of like a MacGyver of visual effects. Mm. When when, uh, a production has limited resources and limited time and they've got a shot that's broken everybody else, uh, I get called in. And that's that's kind of my specialty. And I've also done, done all kinds of things. I mean, that's the great thing about working in this industry is you get to work on a, a crazy amount of different types of projects. I even worked on stuff for the Disney theme parks. I worked on the uh, the World of Color show at, 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 at California Adventures. So it's fun things. That, that is does, awesome. Does having that LucasArts, ILM pedigree um, and I imagine the, the background that comes with it open a lot of doors too? Oh, absolutely. Just, absolutely. I mean, you know, just the fact that I uh, that I'm involved in this at all, the fact that I'm at this convention is is is, is amazing. Because you know, as as a, as a teen, I spent many years on the other side of the table, right. you know, as a fan before I was ever invited to sit down on on the other side with the uh, you know a stack full of uh, photos and a handful of sharpies. You know, <laughs> so I know I I I don't take that lightly. And uh, so it, it's yeah, it's opened lots of doors. I mean, it got me into the Screen Actors Guild. It got me uh, uh, into the Visual Effects Society. I've sat on the board of directors of the Visual Effects Society. Oh, nice. I've been able to travel the world because of, of, of my involvement in Star Wars. And it's and and I've been able to work on all these projects that I just mentioned. All these films all became uh, you know because of Star Wars. That is so. great. Uh, let me ask you this: as as like an inspiration for you as a as a young lad, mm-hmm. was it like a Ray Harryhausen, or was it like? You know, oh, what? it was absolutely Ray Harryhausen. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I didn't want to assume. No, I, I my original plan was I was going to be the next Ray Harryhausen. Awesome. I wanted to do what Ray did, and because uh, Ray was the man. Yeah, you know he he people don't realize today that Ray was a one man effects studio. Mm. You know he 
would work in, and Ray told me this. He 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 would work for like you know four months like crazy, and then he have the rest of the year off. But he but for those four months he was locked in his studio. But he was his own cinematographer. He was his own set builder, his own art director, his own modeler. You know, for a while his dad made the armatures for him, machined them for him, but he did right. everything else. He animated them, and he had, in you know, there was no digital stuff back then. It was like. If you made a mistake, if he made a mistake, he had to start over again. Yeah. You know? yeah. But I wanted to do what, what Ray did. And then in 1977, I went to see this little movie called Star Wars. <laughs> and I looked up at the screen, that, that opening shot where the Rebel Blockade Runner flies over your head, followed yes. by that massive Star Destroyer. And I, I just thought to myself, oh, my gosh, I want to do that for a living. <laughs> but the problem was, at that time, there was nowhere to go to learn how to do that for a living because the people who were doing that were making that up as they went along. Right. It, it, it was all brand new. They were trailblazers. People like Dennis Muren and Richard Edlin, they were trailblazers right. doing this sort of thing. And, um, but, you know, I, I taught myself how to do this sort of stuff. So I would experiment. Uh, if you've ever seen, you know, the, the film Super 8, yeah. uh, you know, uh, that was me as a kid. <laughs> except, you know, except for the alien invasion, that was me as a kid. <laughs> and uh, I was always making some kind of film like that, some kind of Super 8 film, and then doing, you know, trying to do effects and trying to experiment and get it and so you know eventually when I got hired at, at LucasArts um, that was my foot in the door Great. and uh, and I started off at the bottom of the ladder I started off uh, uh, first in customer support so if, if, you, if you bought a game at LucasArts and you couldn't get it to run on your computer and you were angry and you called up I was the guy that answered the phone um, and then I did that for about a year and then I transferred over to the art department at the very bottom of the ladder, I was an art technician, which meant at that time that I wasn't creating art. I was taking the art that the artists did, which was in millions of colors, which we couldn't use back then on computers, yeah. and I was putting it into a form that the programmers could use. So it had, I was reducing palettes down to like 256 colors. Uh-huh. Uh, actually, less than that because you couldn't touch the 32 Windows interface colors or everything goes wonky. Uh-huh. So um, the first game that I worked on was a game called Mortimer and the Riddles of the Medallion. If you've never heard of it, I won't be heartbroken. It, it was not a big seller. It was a great game, but it was not a big seller. It was uh, LucasArts' one and only infotainment game. Edu- edutainment game, I should say. Um, but when I started on that game, I was art technician, and by the time I finished, I was lead effects animator. By the time the wow. game shipped, I was lead effects animator, and then soon after became visual effects supervisor there. So Awesome. And then I went from there to ILM and right. so on. So the rest great. is history. So you've done just about everything. So I have I have worked in yeah. just about every aspect of, of the entertainment industry from pre-production to production to post-production, everything, you know, marketing, licensing, everything except distribution, I think. At this point. So if you had a genie in a bottle and the genie came out and said, I'll let you work on anything you want, is there anything you haven't done that you would want to work on oh my if gosh. you had your choice? Oh, my gosh. Um, this is a couple of, uh, of, I mean, like, there are a couple of things. I mean, that I, there's a couple of pet projects that I have that I would love mm-hmm. to do. Uh, I've got a, a, an idea for a, a, a TV series that I would love to produce. There's a, a film script I wrote several years ago that I would love to get produced. Um, but, uh, you know, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. I want to keep being able to, to do the things. So it's like if I had a genie in the bottle, I'd ask for, you know, uh, three more genies. So <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> But uh, I, I will say this: um, I, 
there there are a lot of shows that I would I would love to to, to be involved mm-hmm. in. You know, I, I think the Orville is a funny show, a great show. I, yeah, I, I would love. To yeah, do, we love that show. I think that yeah. that's a great show. I'd love to do that. Um, I'd love to do more. Actually, I think it, my my genie in the bottle moment would be I would love to do a voice for a Pixar film. Mm. I would, that would, yeah, because yeah. I love doing voice work. Voice acting is is great because you can be anything, and yeah. and it doesn't. I mean, I, I've done a lot of voice acting and I and I enjoy it, um, but it doesn't matter what you look like. It's yeah. all about what you sound like. Right. And it doesn't matter what you look like while you're doing it either, because you look crazy and sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I have I have done. I played the role of a surfer dude octopus for Between the Lions on PBS, you know, PBS Kids series. Um, Inky the Octopus, a surfer dude octopus who had to sing hip-hop and then also had to sing country-western music. So you have to kind of think to yourself, okay, um, let's see. I'm, a, I'm an octopus, I'm a surfer dude, but I'm doing country-western music, but I have to remember I'm still a surfer dude and I'm an octopus. You know, but that's, 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 that's what's great about it, though. So... And so, do you find that some of that experience carries over into your uh, special effects, or some of the experience that you have from working um, on video games carries into your voice work? I mean, absolutely, because you know, if you have an understanding of what the other aspects are uh, of, of, of the entertainment industry, it really does help. Right. One of the things that I taught for a while, I taught at the uh, Berkeley Digital Film Institute, and I was teaching a class. For filmmakers, just kind of getting them up to speed on what visual effects is all about, because at some point they're going to have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, every film nowadays is literally an effects film. You know, it's got some kind of visual effects in it, whether you recognize it or not. Like Rocky. Like Rocky, yes. I mean, even something like My Big Fat Greek Wedding has some effects in it. Oh, there you you know, it's, it, and you don't think of that as an effects film. You look at a film like, um, uh, oh, you know, just, I mean, things like uh, the, the Social Network. Mm. You know. That's got some complicated effects. You've got one actor playing two characters, you know, the, the, right. the twins there. You know, lots of things like that you don't think of as visual effects films are visual effects. So, it, you know, it was important that these young filmmakers, you know, learned that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's, it's important to have that. And, yeah, it spills over. It spills into a lot of things I do. I mean, I have a YouTube channel. Which mm. is all about tropical fish because that's my hobby that keeps right, me sane. Right. <laughs> it's called the Quadacy, A Q U A T A S Y, Quadacy, and um, I, I incorporate a lot of things like visual effects and animation during the whole Harlem Shake craze. My fish did the Harlem Shake. I have sassy back talking <laughs> fish and things like that, uh, and I do a lot of motion graphics and that sort of thing. And I keep that sensibility of of okay, here's what I learned as a, a visual effects artist and what I've learned you know, in cinematography, and I'm applying that to here's how I aquascape this tank and make it look larger than it actually is. Right. Things like that. Um, so, yeah, all that stuff kind of cross-pollinates and everything. So, yeah, it's, it's important. Cool. And then and the great thing is, like, like, nowadays, what's different than from when I started out is that the Internet is the great equalizer. Look at what you guys are doing. You right. know, you've got, you know, you're, you're able to, to reach an audience that, you know, 10 years ago, maybe, you wouldn't even have been able to reach. Right, Someone right, get that from right. me. If that's my lawyer telling me. So. <laughs> it's not my phone. That's not mine either. But, um, but that's the great thing. The Internet is the great equalizer. You can, you know, content creators can go straight to an audience 
And it's like I never set out to have a YouTube channel. It was right. just something that I was. I happened to be on uh, an online forum trying to get some information about a fish species, and everybody on the forum was saying, uh, "Oh, hey, everybody, post a video of your tanks." So I thought, "All right, I'll join in." But me being me, I can't just get out the cell phone and shoot something and upload it. <laughs> no, I gotta edit it and I gotta add graphics and titles to it and music. And and I was looking for somewhere to host it, and I figured, okay, well, YouTube seems easy, right. but you have to create a channel for yourself. So I thought, well, if I'm creating a channel, I might as well create a name for it. Well, if I'm creating a name, I better have something that I can make a URL for, and it's like, and it, it snowballs. So I put, I made this first video, and I and I posted it, and I put a link on the forum, and everybody goes, oh, that's great. You should, you know, you should, you should do more of that. Well, now I'm up to, like, as of this morning, 3,000 subscribers. I have wow. a, a sponsor for the channel. Uh, the channel makes money, and, and I get a message out there. I've got a, I've got one video that's that's got, like, 100,000 views on it, and it's like, and it's a fish tank channel. And Go it's like, figure. But it's, it's Darth Vader's fish tank channel. It's a, what are you? But... Um, but that's what's great about what's going on right now, and so you can you 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 know, podcasting is is amazing too because you get to reach this audience that you right, guys could right. never have reached you know even just a few years ago. So yeah, yeah, it it is just a game. I probably changer. strayed way far from your original oh, question, that's right. but that's all right. Yeah, we let do me, it all the time. Something. We exactly. talk about robots yes. and then get to Popeye. So. Excellent. All right. <laughs> that that's how this podcast rolls. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna throw it around to Walker and Bob. Any last. Uh, Questions or, or comments? Come on, you got questions? I have answers. We can see if they match. Well, let's uh, <laughs> let's bring it right back around to the beginning of Darth Vader again. Uh, okay. Did you ever meet Dave Prowse, or did he ever yes, comment on your work? Or? I met Dave Prowse once, right. back in 1978. I was 15 years old. <laughs> he came to Berkeley, California, to a collectible shop there. And Federation oh, Trading Federation post. Trading yep. Post. You oh, know boy. it. Oh, yeah. And the line was just down the street, around the block, around two or three blocks down the road there. I stood in line right. for hours. And uh, I remember when he, uh, when his hand would start cramping up from all the signing and everything, he would walk the line and shake hands and have little kids sit in his hand and he'd lift them up in the air. <laughs> and uh, That's great. He's a bodybuilder and it was amazing. Oh, yeah. But he, and he was a great guy, a nice guy. I got an autograph from him and that was my only time meeting him. And, so when you uh, saw him, did you say, I'm going to be you one day? <laughs> no, but here's the, here's the funny thing. Um, back in the summer of 77, at the end of summer, when, when the crowds had died down, my friends and I, we, I had two friends, we, we would go to see the movie, you know, like every week or something like that. Because, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, we, we, we get there, like if the movie started at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, we'd get there at like 10 o'clock in the morning just so we could say we were first in line. Because, <laughs> you know, we had, no, we had no lives, we had no girlfriends, we had nothing. Uh, and so we're uh, we're standing around a line, just the three of us. And I made a wild prediction. I said, you know, one of these days I'm going to play Darth Vader. And they go, shut up, you're not going to play that. No, I'm taller than either of you. Yeah. And uh, I said, you know, they'll, they'll make something else out of this, and they won't use the original actors and everything. Mm-hmm. I also made the wild prediction one time that I would play Luke Skywalker. Wow. And, and, and I ended up doing Luke's right. voice. So, you know, you never know where life is going to take you. That is true. So you have to you, you have to not say no to life. You've got to be yeah. ready for yes. So that is awesome. So what did uh, what did Luke's voice sound like? You oh my gosh, I probably can't or, do it today. I can't, probably could not do it today. Uh, but right now, this minute. But uh, give me some some warm up time, and I could do it. But perform yeah, for us. Yeah. But uh, apparently, I, I I saw some poll on the internet, and they huh. said that I, I ranked fairly high on the list of they were like a list of seven or eight actors who had done Luke's voice for things, and including Mark, of course, who was at the top of the list. Which I was oh, okay. thankful for that. <laughs> uh, but I, I I ranked somewhere in the middle. I thought, oh. Cool, great, nice. Thank you. So, <laughs> Good job. Yes. Karen. Oh, and speaking of voice actors, so have you ever met 
Mark Hamill while doing either voice or any other project? I actually have met Mark. Yeah, Mark, um, met Mark. Uh, worked with him. Mark did uh, came to LucasArts and did four voices for us for a game called uh, Full Throttle, mm. uh, which is a great game. It actually was just recently reissued again by Double Fine Productions. Uh, uh, Tim Schafer, who was the original game designer at LucasArts, who created the game, and he has this company called Double Fine, and, and Tim was able to do a new version of it to sort of beef up the, the visuals and, and everything. And Mark did four voices for that game for us. And you cannot tell it's four, you know, it's not, you think it's four different guys. Mark is so good. I don't think Mark gets nearly enough credit for how good an actor he is. Yeah, and, he's got and some he's, range. He is brilliant. And well, he, he also does the best Harrison Ford. I mean, it ticks Harrison Ford off. I've heard, yeah. But he does a great Harrison Ford. So, I, yeah, so I've, 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 I've met Mark. I also have done things. We, I, we even did the, the Oprah Winfrey show together. Uh, uh, back in 97, we were promoting the special edition uh, coming out, and uh, Lucasfilm sent me out there. Uh, we had uh, Vader, Chewbacca, 3PO, and R2, and an Ewok on, on the Oprah show. So they send all the other characters out. Now, it wasn't Peter Mayhew in the, in the, in the Chewbacca costume. We had uh, uh, someone from Lucasfilm uh, standing in for him because Peter was being interviewed by Oprah on the show that day. Uh, and Mark was being interviewed, too. And, uh, but Mark came over and said hi to all of us in, in our dressing room and, and all that. And so, but it was interesting because we, they sent all the characters out first except for Vader. And then when Oprah comes out, she uh, she says, "Hmm, it seems to me that there's someone missing. Hmm, who could it be?" And then they start playing, the, you know, the, the Vader's theme, and I come out. And they had strung together uh, a line of dialogue. They took, you know, the forces with you, young Skywalker, and uh, they had taken from when James Earl Jones had been on Oprah's show and had said her name and edited it in there. So uh, now Oprah did not rehearse with us, so she came out and she's doing this, you know, you know. No, on the fly there, and she says to me, uh, "So Vader, what do you think of the, uh, of all of this?" And I look her dead in the eye there, and I'm pointing at her, and I said, "The Force is with you, young Oprah." <laughs> and she, and I swear to you, it's the only time I've ever seen Oprah intimidated, because <laughs> Vader is staring her down there, and she looked uh, up at the mask, and I saw genuine fear in her eyes for a moment. <laughs> this is Oprah, you know, but she, genuine fear in her eyes for a second. And then she goes, he said I was young. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, no, this, I, I've got a lifetime of story. I could write a book. I really well, could. I, I'm thinking we need to have like an, another podcast where we just invite you over for the day. I think we do. That would be fun. <laughs> I would hey, enjoy but, that. You know, I, I really I know you have a busy schedule here at the convention, and I want to thank you very much for coming out and talking to us. Oh, my pleasure. Um, we're going to get your uh, web information. We'll throw it up on our page. Sure. Great. And that way folks can um, can hit up your page and take a look at what you got going on. Thank you so much. All right. Definitely. Thank you. Thanks for coming have a good out. show for the rest on. of the day. Thank you. And the force is strong with you. <laughs> and you. I find your lack of faith disturbing. And to our intergalactic listeners, this is the portion of the show where we have our sensor sweep. We will go ahead and share with you and review with you some of the great things that have come across Planet 8's attention. This podcast, Karen will be sharing with you. Karen, what item have you found up in the satellite that you'd like to share with us? Well, fortunately, the satellite uh, still has access to the Internet. And I'm able to uh, go to Amazon and pick up some some goodies through my Kindle. And uh, I discovered, uh, appropriate to this podcast, 
um, that Marvel Comics has been putting out a Darth Vader series. And uh, especially the first 25 pages or so, I'm not pages, sorry, issues of um, this series, which uh, were written by Kieran Gillen and drawn by Salvador La Roca, uh, is a, a, a segment that covers a period in Darth Vader's life between episode four of Star Wars and episode five, Empire Strikes Back. And uh, I read these, I think they, they put them together in four trade paperbacks. And these are really, really good. I highly recommend them to anybody. Um, it uh, looks at Vader uh, in a really different way. And especially the idea that he sort of failed the Emperor after Star Wars. You know, they blew up the Death Star. He let these rebels get away. And the Emperor is sort of like, pushing it to him, saying, hey, you kind of screwed up. What are you going to do to fix things? And so Vader is kind of trying to figure out, you know, who are these rebels? Who is this rebel pilot that blew up the Death Star? What am I going to do about this? Um, really great series. So I just highly recommend that. You can also buy the, the physical trade paperbacks or you can get it on your Kindle. But um, great if you're a big Star Wars or a big Darth Vader fan. Great. Thanks, Karen. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, this brings us to a closing of the Planet 8 podcast. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. And remember, the conversation continues. Go on over to our Planet 8 podcast at blogspot.com. Again, that's planet8podcast.blogspot.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Planet 8 Cast. We're over on Facebook at Planet 8 Podcast. And look, we appreciate you guys tuning in and sharing uh, the page with other people, with your friends. Continue listening. We have some good stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks and months. Be good to each other. Be safe. This is your mission commander signing off from Planet 8. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed.